welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 13th chapter. Luke writes, Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he had said this, he laid his hands on her, and immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done, come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated, and again, welcome as we continue our uh, journey through Luke. We'll continue reading in Luke's Gospel uh, until, well, shortly after Thanksgiving when the church year calendar will change and the season of Advent will begin, and that season will take us to, in the lectionary, uh, a year of reading together portions of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, But uh, for today... Uh, We remain in Luke, the faithful uh, investigator, uh, chronicler of the life of Christ. He himself not a witness to any of this, but rather uh, wrote an orderly account, to borrow his words, uh, for one most excellent Theophilus. We don't know if Theophilus was a pseudonym uh, or an actual name of a historical person, but we know that the name means lover of God. And so, lover of God, lover of God, let me share with you a few thoughts on this little text uh, that our evangelist Luke uh, wrote for the benefit of Christ's church. Uh, Not a very complicated text, pretty straightforward, right? Uh, And uh, today's lesson I kind of view as a lesson in both healing and hypocrisy. Uh, to use a little alliteration there. Healing and hypocrisy. The story is, of course, before physical causality was understood in relationship to illness and all illness uh, 
had uh, profound uh, and suffering, had profound spiritual uh, implications uh, in the first century. Um, today's lesson I also see as a, uh, a collision collision between words and actions. It's the conflict between Jesus and uh, a religious leader uh, who chose to use Jesus's actions on that Sabbath morning uh, to remind this upstart carpenter's son of his place. For the synagogue leader, <laughs> 30 years old or not, when Jesus called over an unrelated woman and spoke to her much less touched her. He was out of bounds in both words and deeds. Um, synagogue leader knew the law. And by that law, uh, he thought that he understood uh, both righteousness and unrighteousness and what ought and ought not be done on the Sabbath. No. We aren't told, but I wish I knew, what Jesus had been speaking about, teaching on that uh, Saturday morning. Wish you knew what he was teaching on. Uh, when it happened that from a distance he set eyes upon uh, the twisted form of a nameless woman lost to history. A woman Jesus would later describe as a daughter of Abraham. I like that phrase. Daughter of Abraham. Dignity uh, in her very being. Created to stand tall. But the woman's lot was not that, and Jesus could see it. Even while he was speaking, his attention diverted. Okay, That was not her lot in life, because for 18 long years, as Jesus described it. Uh, she was bent over and quite unable to stand upright. 18 years. You know, now, an aside. <laughs> I, if you know me, I have a tendency to be cynical. And, and my cynical side sometimes wishes uh, that God had put a little more engineering into the design of the human back. Uh, and then the other side of my brain says, well... Uh, maybe since we are created in God's image, I wonder if God ever gets a backache occasionally. You know, just backs. Yeah. Well, this woman's back was the source of enormous uh, disability to her. And Jesus noticed it. And so he took the initiative. Jesus took the initiative and he summoned, he summons the crippled woman and abruptly as Luke preserves it here, uh, intervenes. He's a woman. You are set free from your ailment. And placing his hands upon her, Jesus stands her straight. And again, to speak thus uh, to an unrelated woman, to touch her in public, seems to have set the uh, self-appointed arbiter of righteousness and unrighteousness in today's lesson, the leader of the synagogue, set him off, right? For while the synagogue leader had been willing to uh, tolerate the layperson Jesus teaching on the Sabbath, that was not too bad, uh, the son of a carpenter just went too far. He had gone several bridges too far, it appears, and so that the... Uh, uh, teaching not uh, corrupt uh, 
the congregation, the leader of the synagogue, addresses them, though his issues with Jesus, he turns to the folks who were there listening. He says, hey, there's six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days to be cured, but not on the Sabbath. He chides the audience. And did you notice again, it was actually Jesus he had issue with, but he addresses the crowd. Um, and this prompts Jesus to respond and intervene with a question to those who are suddenly conflicted. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey to lead it to water even on the Sabbath? Then he asks the question, Ought not this daughter of Abraham be granted at least likewise consideration? Ought not she be set free on the Sabbath? And of course, with those words, uh, Jesus shamed the man's confused priorities. Uh, and in an honor-shame culture, that had to have been a hard words for the head of the synagogue to hear. But, Luke tells us, by this exchange taking place publicly as it played out, the crowds rejoiced, as the word that's used, rejoiced, as they saw what was happening in their midst with wonder and hope and light through these things that Jesus was saying and doing in their very midst. And it was caused then uh, for them to be nearer the kingdom of God than they had been before that fateful morning. I would be surprised now as we go on in a slightly different direction if any of you know the name off top of your head, Walter Wangren Jr. Hey, Than, I'll bet you know it. No, you do. Just don't know you do. The late author, pastor, uh, he died a couple of years ago, wrote the dialogue that we used during the Good Friday tenebrae service here at the church as the uh, shroud is folded and carried away into the shadows of that, uh, of that most holy day of the year, Good Friday. Uh, so you do know him. You know his work anyway, huh? Yeah, and I I never met him. Closest I came to ever meeting him, uh, my only contact actually was a was an apology letter that I wrote to him uh, late in his life, because I had discovered, <laughs> to my embarrassment and chagrin, uh, that I had misquoted him in a magazine article that I wrote for the Military Chaplains Magazine. Uh, I misattributed him, actually, uh, his work to another author, and so you could color me embarrassed. And I wrote him a letter and said, hey, I'm sorry. Well, one of his early works that sort of set him apart, he became known, uh, was a, a short story. And it's an allegory. He wrote a short story allegory uh, about the life of Christ and the subject of resurrection. It's been a favorite of mine ever since I was first assigned to read it uh, in a Religion 10 course at Capital University a um, long time ago now. I liked it, in fact, so much that uh, upon reading it in the reading reserve room, I purloined a copy of it uh, in 1973, this copy. And for those of you, purloined is a 
word that pastors like to use when it means we stole something, but we really don't want to own up to it fully. So I have a copy of it that I, I took in 1973, uh, and it was uh, the beginning, part of the genesis, if you will, uh, when I, again, was uh, in college of a sense of call that led me to, well, here we are uh, so many years later. Um, this little short story I want to read to you because I think it has um, uh, interesting application to the lesson that's been set before us this morning. Uh, it's called simply Ragman. Now, once upon a time, for benefit of uh, Jacob and those his age, you used to have uh, uh, men who would collect rags for recycling and reprocessing. Okay? And uh, not anymore, uh, but uh, with our disposable culture. But once rags were uh, a valuable commodity, even used, and so they'd be gathered. And thus, years ago, Wangren wrote, I saw a strange sight. I stumbled upon a story, most strange, like nothing my life, my street sense, my sly tongue ever prepared me for. So, hush, child. Hush now and I'll tell you. Even before dawn one Friday morning, I noticed a young man, handsome and strong, walking the alleys of our city. He was pulling an old cart filled with cloths, both bright and new. And yet he was calling out in a clear tenor voice, Rags! (laughs) Well, the air was foul, and the first light filthy to be crossed by such sweet music. Rags! New rags for old! I take your tired old rags, rags! It's a wonder, I thought. For the man stood six feet four, and his arms were like tree limbs, hard and muscular, and his eyes flashed intelligence. Could he find no better job than this, to be a ragman in the inner city? I followed him. My curiosity drove me. I wasn't disappointed. Soon the ragman saw a woman sitting on her back porch. She was sobbing into a handkerchief, sighing and shedding a thousand tears. Her knees and elbows made a sad X. Her shoulders shook because her heart was breaking. The ragman stopped his cart. Quietly, he walked up to the woman, stepping around tin cans, dead toys, pampers. Give me a rag he said gently, and I'll give you another. He slipped the handkerchief from her eyes, and she looked up, and as he laid across her palm a linen so clean and new that it shined, and she blinked from the gift to the giver. Then, as he began to pull his card again, the ragman did a strange thing. He put her stained handkerchief to his own face, and then he began to weep, to sob, as grievously as she had done his shoulders shaking. 
yet she was left without a tear. This is a wonder, I breathed to myself, and I followed the sobbing ragman like a child who cannot turn away from a mystery. Rags, rags, new rags for old. In a little while, when the sky showed gray behind the rooftops and I could see shredded curtains hanging out black windows, the ragman came upon a girl whose head was wrapped in a bandage, whose eyes were empty, blood soaked her bandage. A single line of blood ran down her cheek. Now the tall ragman looked upon this child with pity, and he drew a lovely yellow bonnet from his cart. Give me your rag, he said, tracing a line on her cheek, and I'll give you mine. The child could only gaze at him while he loosened the bandage, removed it, tied it to his own head, the bonnet he set on hers. And I gasped at what I saw, for with the bandage went the wound. Against his brow, it ran a darker, more substantial flow, blood his own. Rags, rags, I take old rags, cried the sobbing, bleeding, strong, intelligent ragman. The sun hurt both the sky now and my eyes. The ragmen seem more and more to hurry. Are you going to work? He asked a man who leaned against a telephone pole. The man shook his head. The ragman pressed him. Do you have a job? Are you crazy? Sneered the other. He pulled away from the pole, revealing the right sleeve of his jacket, flat, the cuff stuffed into the pocket. He had no arm. So, said the ragman, give me your jacket, I'll give you mine. So much quiet authority in his voice. The one-armed man took off his jacket. So did the ragman. And I trembled at what I saw, for the ragman's arm stayed in its sleeve. And when the other put it on, he had two good arms, thick as tree limbs. But the ragman had only one. Go to work, he said. After that, he found a drunk lying unconscious beneath an army blanket, an old man, an old, old man, hunched, weasened, and sick. He took that blanket and wrapped it round himself. But for the drunk, he left new clothes. And now I had to run to keep up with the ragman, though he was weeping uncontrollably, bleeding freely at the forehead, pulling his cart with one arm, stumbling for drunkenness, falling again and again, exhausted, old, old, and sick. Yet he went with terrible speed. 
On spider legs he skittered through the alleys of our city, this mile and the next, until he came to its limits, and then he rushed beyond. Well, I wept to see the change in this man. I hurt to see his sorrow, and yet I needed to see where he was going in such haste, perhaps to know what drove him so. The little old rag man came to a landfill. He came to the garbage pits, and I watched, and I wanted to help him in what he did, but I hung back. He climbed the hill. With tormented labor, he cleared a little space on that hill, and he sighed, and he laid down. He pillowed his head on a handkerchief and a jacket. He covered his bones with an army blanket, and he died. Oh, how I cried to witness that death. I slumped into a junked car and wailed and mourned as one who had no hope because I had come to love the ragman. Every other face had faded in the wonder of that one man. And I cherished him, but he died. I sobbed myself to sleep. I did not know, how could I know, that I slept through Friday night and Saturday, and it's night too. But then on Sunday morning, I was awakened by violence. Light, pure, hard, demanding light slammed against my sour face. And I blinked, and I looked, and I saw the first wonder of all. There was the ragman, folding the blanket most carefully, a scar on his forehead, but alive. And besides that, healthy. There was no sign of sorrow or age, and all the rags that he had gathered shined for cleanliness. Well, then I lowered my head, and trembling for all I had seen, I myself walked up to the ragman. I told him my name with shame, for I was a sorry figure next to him. Then I took off all my clothes in that place, and I said to him with dear yearning in my voice, Dress me. He dressed me. My Lord, he put new rags on me, and I am a wonder beside him. The ragman, the ragman, the Christ. We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 KL Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.